He credits his love of running and participating in ultra marathons of 50 to 100 miles in length to helping win his battle against hairy cell leukemia. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Kurland. Dr. Kurland is Professor of Pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and is a member of the Division of Pediatric Pulmonary Medicine, Allergy, and Immunology. He is also the author of My Own Medicine, A Doctor's Life as a Patient. Dr. Kurland, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, hello, Susan. How are you? I'm wonderful. How did you get started in running? What, how did I get started in running? Yes. Oh, we. I started running at the age of 14 uh, when I was in 10th grade, and we had uh, our first day of school, the um, gym teachers who coached different sports would meet with a 10th grade class because back then, you have to understand I'm an old man, so back then, 10th grade was actually the first grade in high school where you went to high school. So each of the coaches got up and just to see if there were any late arrivals who hadn't heard about basketball or football or whatever. And one of the last to speak was the cross-country coach. And, and most of us, certainly I, had never heard of the, the, the term cross-country. I didn't know what it was. Uh, and the cross-country coach said that it was, um, you know, it, it was, back then it was a two-mile run, which sounded to me like forever. But he said that in this sport, your size didn't matter. In other words, it didn't matter how big you were. And at the time I was in 10th grade, I was about five foot three, and I was about 95 pounds. I was one of the smallest kids in my class. So I figured if I was going to go out for any sport, I might as well try something like this. And I, I did. And um, I was terrible. I was, I was the, in the first time trial we had, I was the next to last guy in the, in the group to finish, in, in all the runners. I was the next to last, and the last guy quit. So I, I became the last guy on the team. But the coach didn't cut anybody. He, he had just enough to fill a school bus, although he looked at me and he said to himself that I would never, ever be a good runner. And he actually, I found this out about a year later. My mom told me this, but my coach called my family to tell them that I was working real hard at, at this sport, but I would never be a good runner and they should try and gently persuade me to do something else. And that was probably the wrong thing to do because they tried to talk me out of it and that only made me more resolved that I was going to do it. And through the years, I actually I got better. I never got to be, you know, certainly great, but I, I got better at it. And it's from that drive, if you will, that led me to, you know, I, I ran cross-country in, in college. Again, not very fast, but it gave a balance to my life. I mean, I worked very hard in college. I worked very hard in high school and, and in medical school. And I've kept running as something else. My, the other part of my life uh, that, uh, that keeps everything else in balance, uh, that, that keeps everything else in perspective, because that's the other thing that I do. And actually, my colleagues around the country, uh, when they see me at national meetings, uh, one of the first questions they ask after they ask, you know, how are things going at work is they ask me how my running is, because almost everybody recognizes me as a runner in addition to being a physician. What is an ultramarathon? Any distance over 26.22 miles, the distance of a marathon, is considered an ultramarathon. One of the magazines I get is called Ultra Running. That's the word. And, and the back, about six or eight or ten pages, are listings of uh, ultramarathons, both nationally and internationally, you know, that are held. Uh, the list gets re-upped, but uh, there's, there are many hundreds of these runs around the country. And the, and the people who run these, 
uh, many of them, especially the really good runners, are known by a lot of us, and, and a lot of them know each other, and it's a tremendous amount of camaraderie. There are a lot of these runs are run on um, in backcountry, in the trails. You're usually alone for long stretches of time, even though you're running with hundreds of other people. You may not see anybody for hours at a time, uh, and they're very, I want to say, liberating in a way. They're also very difficult. Uh, and, and it makes you push your own envelope, if you will. Everybody has their own envelope to push. I'll never be someone who finishes one of these races at the very, very top. Uh, but for me, just running the race or being a participant in the race in one way or another is very important to me. Now, I don't run the 100-mile run anymore. I mean, the, the one out west that I write about in my book. But I still fly out to the race every June, and I'm a doc at the race. I'm a physician there every year, and I've done it every year save one or two since, not, since I was diagnosed. What qualities do ultra-marathon runners possess? They have to possess uh, perseverance, pain tolerance, uh, a sense of pace, in other words, knowing when to push, knowing when to slow down, a realization that a long, long race like this is not always going to be the same. There are going to be periods where you, know, you feel like you have to stop. There are periods where you feel like you can't go on any further, but you do. There are periods where you have to rest a little bit. Uh, these races are as different from a marathon as a marathon is different from a, a mile run. For example, in an ultramarathon, you eat food as you run. The aid stations for ultramarathons are full of things like potato chips, M&Ms, potatoes, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, soup, coffee, th- things like that. Because these, these runs go for hours and hours, so you have to eat. You have to carry your own water uh, supplies. For many of these, either in backpacks or, or in hand bottles or both, as I do. You have to change shoes sometimes. Uh, the 100-mile the run I do uh, at 80 miles into the race, you have to cross a river on foot through the river. <laughs> so you get wet. It's not uncommon. The qualities that you need to do that uh, are not just those seen in, for example, a sprinter. You're not in there for speed. You're in there to keep going and uh, just enjoy it if you can. Um, if you get, you know, and, and most of the time, for me, uh, hard as these are, and as difficult as they are, there's a real sense of uh, accomplishment and, uh, and fun. I might say that um, in a lot of ways, I look at, uh, at them in a way I look, in the same way I look at medicine. It's, it's supposed to be fun. Medicine is a job, but medicine should be fun. I tell that to my medical students that I teach, to the fellows, to the residents, if this isn't fun, you're in the wrong line. As busy as we are, uh, I still have a good time. How long does that 100-mile Western States endurance run take? Uh, for me or for the people who win? Both. <laughs> well, the winning record time is, is about 15 hours and I want to say in the, around 38 minutes. Now, if you think about that for just a second, that's 100 miles over the Sierra Mountains with a total of about 18,000 feet of cumulative uphill and about 21 or 22,000 feet of cumulative downhill. You have to walk through a river at 80 miles. Uh, The temperature ranges from 38 degrees at the start or so to about 105 to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So this is a real tough race. And to run something like that or do it, and by the way, even the winners don't run at all. The, The uphills are so steep, it's actually more efficient to walk. But anyway, doing something like that in, in anywhere less than 18 or 19 hours, to me, is, is almost a miracle. So the people who win these things, 
are extraordinary athletes. I mean, really remarkable athletes, uh, men and women. And by the way, women do it often very, very well in these events. They just seem to be tougher. They have a better pain tolerance and uh, often a very good sense of pace. It's a very, uh, it's not gender specific at all. Now, for people like me, they give you 30 hours to do this, this particular race. There are some 100 milers that are even tougher where they give you over 30 hours to finish them. But this one, they give you 30 hours. And I just did the race again in 2005. I did it first time in 1990, uh, which, by the way, was one year almost to the day after going into remission. And I did it again in 2005. My time was, uh, you know, much, much slower. I mean, I just, the most recent time, I just barely made it under 30 hours with only about 20 minutes to spare. But as far as I was concerned, I, I won the race. It didn't matter. I mean, it was, it was that important to me. What kind of breaks do the runners get? Very short. Nobody sleeps. You, you take a break to change your shoes if they're wet. Uh, you take a break, little breaks to grab food. And when I mean grab food, you grab the food, you start eating it, and you, you keep going. I change shoes a couple times, but you want to stay away from chairs and things like that because there's an easy tendency to say, boy, I'm so comfortable in this chair, I think I'll just sit here for a while. And the next thing you know, it's, you know, a lot, lot of time has passed. What are you thinking? What am I thinking? All that time you're running. I'm usually thinking, uh, I wonder where the next aid station is. <laughs> How many are there? Uh, there are over 20 aid stations. Many of them are very small. Uh, the aid station I work at in, at the 62-mile mark is a very major aid station. We have weights. Uh, oh, oh, we weigh the runners. We have IVs if, we, if they need them. Anybody who gets an IV is out of the race. We have a sort of a mini little hospital that we set up. And we can't do much but except start IVs and watch people. But uh, other aid stations are le- literally a set of tables in the middle of, uh, in the middle of nowhere with extra water and uh, other fluids as well as stuff to eat, maybe a chair for a runner to sit on. Are you making the decision as the physician who may continue and who may not? Uh, in a way, yes. We weigh the runners, and if they've lost too much weight, you know, we, we tell them they have to hydrate. I have rarely had to talk anybody into, into dropping out. I mean, my intention is for, I want everybody to finish. Uh, so I counsel them to hydrate, and I try to give them advice. If they can't do that on their own and they require an IV, then they know they're out of the race. But in the years that I've been working the race as a physician, there have been maybe one or two people that I've really had to convince that it was not in their best interest to continue. Everybody else I've ever met at the race who has decided to drop out uh, essentially told me, as the the physician, they, they told me they were dropping out of the race. I'm glad to say that the majority of people who start these races, and more recently it's been a pretty big majority of, of people who run these races, actually finish. Uh, in order to get into this, the, these, the long races like this, the 100 mile, for example, uh, in, at Western States, you have to qualify by doing a 50 mile run in a specified time. So you just can't sign up for these things. These are not for weekend warriors. These are for people who who have been often training for months and months and months or even years uh, to be able to do this. And they have a much better, uh, I think, perception of, uh, of what their body can take and not take, of where they are in being hydrated or not hydrated, uh, and how much, you know, how fast they can go for the, for the remain, remainder of the race, no matter where they are in the race. How did running help you win your battle against Terry cell leukemia? Uh, I think running helped, helped me with, with leukemia in the way it helps me with a lot of things, it provides me with uh, a sense of self, which is important. It provides me with something other than medicine to do with my life. 
it provides me with an ability to pace myself. And, and when I say pace myself, it's not just pacing yourself and running, but it's pacing yourself in life that, that I think is important, especially for people who are really, really busy. And physicians, I think, are really busy people. And there's often a frenetic nature to, the, to what they do. Uh, there's a lot at stake with some of their patients. There are a tremendous number of stressors on all physicians. I think no matter how, quote, benign things are in their practice, uh, I think there are a lot of hidden stresses that most people don't realize are present in a practice of medicine. And I think that doing something for me, like running, puts some of that in perspective and also helps me deal with it. Do you know what I mean? I do. I want to thank Dr. Jeffrey Curlin, who has been our guest discussing ultra marathons. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.